Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, today, I want to move back into the world of literature, and I want to talk about the Romantics, um, in particular on Wordsworth, but I also want to get into some of the other Romantics a little bit as well. Now, the Romantics represent a huge shift in literature, not just in poetry, but in literature in general. Uh, we talked about the uh, sort of the Renaissance era, the uh, neoclassical uh, poets who basically tried to uh, keep to the uh, Latin and Greek traditions, but sort of uh, de-emphasize the individual as much as they did in the as they emphasized them in the Renaissance period. Uh, they wanted to make things more about manners and fitting into society and to being much more uh, social creatures, socially acceptable creatures. Well, the Romantics kind of move things in a different direction. Uh, poetry up until the Romantic period is very stylized. It's very formal. Uh, the You would not see poets writing in informal formats. They would be using uh, structures that are very much accepted. Uh, they would also be using a language that is very much a, what is known as poetic diction. Uh, part of the reason when we talked about Shakespeare, I mentioned that Shakespeare's language sounds so different uh, is that Shakespeare wasn't using everyday speech. He was using what was known as poetic diction. Um, while he did incorporate a little bit of everyday uh, words and terms into it, uh, for the most part, he stuck to the more formalized style. And this is something that all... British literature in particular, uh, had stuck to. Um, it was very much a literature for the elite tastes. It was not something that was for everyone. And this is one of the things that in the Romantic period starts to change. Now, part of the reason for this change has to do with a change in the audience. Uh, we talked about, when we talked about the history of literature, how literature often changes depending on who the audience was. <clears throat> we went from the beer hall in English literature to the court, um, and now in the Romantic period we're starting to make a change again. Uh, remember in the earlier literatures, even Shakespeare, uh, whenever you had lower class characters, they were generally only side characters. They were only plot devices, or they were used for comic relief. Uh, starting with the Romantics and with Wordsworth, one of the things that he talks about is sort of the bringing out of the common person, uh, the getting away from the pretentiousness of only dealing with kings and queens and gods and goddesses, um, because he felt that uh, the life of the common person was not only something more people could relate to, but it was where you could get into uh, more real depth of feelings instead of these highly artistic stylized feelings of people who were you know not in touch with the common people uh, Wordsworth really wants to get back into talking about the common people making them serious characters now this changes the language drastically you know, one of the things that Wordsworth talks about is that he wants to use the language of common people. And so you start to get a lot more everyday words that people actually use being used poetically. You get a lot less of the feeling of artificial style. 
you get much more of a feeling of poetry being almost similar to prose. There's still some stylistic differences between poetry and prose, but it's much closer together. And part of the reason for this is the Romantic period is also the rise of prose. This is the first time where most of the literature is not poetry. Um, prior to the Romantic period, yes, there were novels written, but there weren't a lot. There were, you know, a few novels written each century of, of, of notice. Uh, for the most part, all what was considered serious literature was written in poetic form. Uh, things like Paradise Lost may be book length, but they're book length poems. You know, Dante's Inferno is book length, but it's a book length poem. Um, starting in the Romantic period, you start to get a rise in prose. And again, this is because there's a change in the audience. One of the things that's occurring during the Romantic period is you're getting a rise of the middle class. You're getting a class of people who do not have titles but they're starting to have a lot of money because they're businessmen, they're traders, they're uh, explorers, they're, you know, uh, merchants. They're, wor they're working in all of these fields that are starting to generate a lot of money. Uh, so you have a new class of the wealthy. Prior to this, most of the wealthy were wealthy because they were the aristocracy. Uh, wealth was inherited. It wasn't something that was earned. Uh, now you have people without a title, um, who are becoming very wealthy, uh, wealthy to the point where they're not just surviving. You know, this is one of the things about the lower classes. Um, they were living at a subsistence level. They didn't have a lot of money for extras. Um, now the, this class starts to have money for extras. And when you start having money beyond just your basic needs, what do most people want? They want entertainment. Entertainment back then wasn't movies and television. Uh, entertainment was literature. So you start to have a lot of literature directed towards this new class of people with money. You know, the printing press had already made it cheaper to produce books. Um, now you have a class of people with money. The increasing level of complexity made it more necessary to have a larger percentage of the population that could read. Uh, during medieval times, and even through the uh, much of the Renaissance time period, really the only the upper classes could read, and a lot of times even the upper classes couldn't read. Um, reading was often in the in the Middle Ages only something that the clergy could do. Uh, you had to be a member of the you know the church, like a monk or a priest or a bishop or something like that. Most of the regular population couldn't read and write. Well, you have an increase in literacy in this time period, an increase in literacy, uh, increase in amount of money that people have to buy books, and an increase or a decrease in how much books cost to produce. So all of these things kind of come together. And Wordsworth, when he's putting together this collection of poems, he puts it together with Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Uh, and in the beginning, they initially didn't put their names on it. Um, they just put it out there as uh, lyrical ballads. And in his preference, he kind of gives a prose uh, defense of the type of literature that he's doing. You know, he talks about uh, the fact that this is going to sound odd for someone who's used to reading poetry because they're used to the very, you know, artificial, artistic style. He, he talks about the fact that they're, they may not like it. 
he sort of divides it into two categories. He really sees that this is going to be something that people will either love a lot or they'll hate it a lot, depending on what their idea of literature is. People who have too inflexible of an idea of what literature is will think this is absolutely horrible and abysmal. Uh, people who are a little more flexible will find it much more enjoyable. Because one of the things that he wants to do in embracing lower class and regular people is he also wants to get a better picture of real life. Uh, most people don't know what it's like to be a king fighting a dragon. Uh, most people do know what it's like to have the loss of a child or to, um, you know, have a... Uh, have a beautiful experience in a meadow and just sort of relaxing. Um, so these day-to-day -day things that were often viewed as trivial because they didn't pertain to the upper classes now become the subject matter of the Romantics. Um, the Romantics also wanted to have a different uh, sort of connection to nature. This is one of the differences between the Romantics and earlier time periods. Uh, generally, connections to nature were tied to religion. Um, you know, nature was a manifestation of God. It was a creation of God, and our uh, important connection was our connection to God, not our connection to nature. Uh, the Romantics start to change this a little bit and talk more about our personal connection. Uh, and this has to do with several reasons for this. Uh, one is the rise of science and the shaking a little bit of religious belief. The other has to do with um, sort of the the rise of Protestantism and the, the idea of uh, more of an individual one-on-one -on -one relationship, not a relationship that is um, mediated by the church. And so there's this feeling and a desire that there needs to be a personal connection to nature. And one of the things that you often see in romantic literature is this idea of nature as something that heals. Uh, nature is something that can restore our humanity, that can restore us to a sense of peace. And you see this a lot in Wordsworth's uh, writings. Now, some of the other romantics that come along later, you also see nature as something that can be a reflection of our gloom. Uh, the later romantics after Wordsworth uh, tend to have a little bit more uh, jaded uh, view of life. They start to have a little bit more um, fear about science and technology, for example. Uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is a good example of this. You know, Frankenstein is about a fear of science coming to the point where scientists start creating these monsters that will not only uh, replace us, but will kill us off. And so the later romantics also start to gain a little bit of pessimism. This pessimism is not really there with Wordsworth and Coleridge. You do find a few pieces here and there, um, but for the most part, it's it's much more of a peaceful, uh, holistic connection to nature. Uh, some of the other uh, romantics of other traditions, like Whitman and the American tradition, also kind of take this... Uh, peaceful and glorious connection to nature. Uh, the French writers who are romantics often uh, tend to lean towards the dark side of it a little bit. Uh, but this has to do with a lot of the turbulence that was going on with France. 
um, and a lot of the pessimism about the way the society was going there. Uh, Wordsworth is very much an optimistic poet, uh, with good reason. I mean, he becomes a celebrity, he becomes the poet laureate, and he basically holds that position until he dies. Uh, he leads a very long, successful career. Um, and this allows him to have a life of, you know, uh, quiet uh, solitude uh, that goes along with his, uh, that, that benefits his ability to write, uh, gives him the time, gives him the space for it. And so he has a much more optimistic view of the world. Uh, the younger romantics in the British tradition tended to be much more pessimistic and much more, much less stable. Um, Byron's instability has a lot to do with his, at, in the beginning, his economic instability. Uh, as he inherits the full lands, uh, that part goes away, but the sort of instability is there. Plus, Byron was born with a uh, clubbed foot, so he had a birth defect that uh, sort of gave him a little bit different view. Uh, Percy Shelley was someone who struggled with money his entire life. Uh, really was only able to survive based on the kindness of friends. And so you do have this different uh, social setting, this different economic setting between the younger romantics and the older romantics. So the older romantics like Wordsworth are kind of a bridge between the old world and the new world. And this really is a, a change in literature that makes it much more like modern literature. For one, you start to get the beginnings of the idea of a poet as an artist. You know, the Wordsworth very much sees the poet as a feeling artist. Um, and it's, it's not as much about the craft as it is about the artist. And this even gets more amplified when you get into Byron. Uh, Byron is sort of the prototype of the modern bad boy celebrity. You know, Byron was the prototype of the idea of the uh, genius celebrity who is a bad boy and lives a fast uh, and short life. Uh, and this, is, this describes Byron perfectly. You know, when we have our modern celebrities that are constantly involved in uh, sex scandals and other kinds of scandals, this was very much what Byron was. But this idea of celebrity really gets rolling with, with poets under Wordsworth. You know, Wordsworth starts to sort of set up this template, set up this idea of poet as artist and poet as celebrity. Uh, but for Wordsworth, again, he was very much uh, more of a uh, acceptable celebrity. He would be considered one of the, you know, one of the celebrities that has the career that lasts, you know, decades and decades, who never seems to get involved in any scandals, never seems to get involved in any troubles, and just produces, uh, you know, uh, works that the public loves uh, year after year. Uh, whereas when you start to get into more of the younger generation, there's much less stability. Uh, and it, you also have people who are not used to this, who come from sometimes a background of nothing, uh, since, remember, the idea of the aristocracy is going away. Uh, Byron still was part of the aristocracy, but Shelley was not. And a lot of the other writers that come out of this time period are not members of the aristocracy. Uh, they're members who have had to find a way to make a living. Uh, 
through whether it's through poetry, whether it's through working. You know, the French poet Arthur Rimbaud uh, basically gives up writing by the time he's 19 or 20. Uh, he becomes a celebrity, writes some very famous works. Uh, Season in Hell is one, one of his most famous works. Uh, but then he kind of disappears, and nobody knows what happened to him until towards the end of his life, where he sort of reappears. And it turns out he had given up the life of literature and, you know, became a basically a pirate. Uh, and, he, and he only sort of reemerges into public awareness on his deathbed. Um, I believe what he was suffering from was a type of knee cancer uh, that ended up killing him. Um, so he had this uh, very much a life of a regular person. Uh, he started out as a celebrity and went the other way. A lot of them go the other way. They start out as regular people and end up as celebrities. Think about a lot of the celebrities we have today. You know, these people may have grown up poor. They may have grown up, you know, coming from families where no one in their family is well known. And then the next thing, they're the biggest sports star or the biggest actor or actress or musician or whatever. And so there's a, a tendency with these uh, people who find this instant celebrity, unfortunately, to sometimes self-destruct. Um, and we saw that we see this with the younger romantics, the younger romantics generally all died before the older romantics, even though they were a generation below them. You know, Shelley and Byron are both dead in their 30s. Uh, Keats, dead, Keats is dead in his 20s. Um, John Clare is completely insane by the time he's 30. Um, you know, but the, the first generation of romantics who kind of start this modern leap into uh, literature and into modern literature really do have long and successful careers. Okay, I'm going to break off for there. Uh, next time, I do want to sort of move a little bit into uh, the Romantic period, but I also want to go towards the end of the period. So I want to talk about the end of the Romantic period in, in the United States and the end of the Romantic period in Britain. And this is where the two nations' literatures kind of go in different directions for a while. Uh, you'll see the Americans uh, pretty much go the same direction as the French and everyone else in Europe after the Romantic period. They move into realism, whereas the British, um, they go into the Victorian period. And so we'll talk about the end of the Romantic period next time and the beginning of the realist and the beginning of the uh, Victorian period. Okay, I hope all of you are doing well. I hope all of you are staying safe. I will talk to you again soon.